Hello Sharks, I'm Jonathan Little for PokerCoaching.com and before we get started, we're having a big sale at PokerCoaching.com because it's the fall season. I know a lot of you are outside playing, having fun, but while everyone's outside playing, if you want to spend a little bit of time improving your poker skills, check out PokerCoaching.com slash fall to get a big discount right now. Today, we're going to be going through a hand from the awesome poker video blogger, Lex O Poker. We will put a link below to his YouTube channel. Go there, click like, click subscribe. In today's hand, he is playing 10, 25, no limit. Taking a little bit of a shot, playing a little bit bigger than normal at Hard Rock in Tampa, Florida. It's an exciting hand. Let's take a look. In this hand, a recreational girl sits down and limps under the gun. Next to act makes it 100. We have pocket 10s on the button. We could three bet or call. This time we decide to just call the big blind calls and the limper calls. So going four ways to the flop, I forgot. Lexo Poker goes fast. Faster than me. I'll slow it down for everyone. Under the gun. Limps. Playing. $2,500 deep. 100 big blinds. Somebody raises to 100. We just call on the button. Fine and good. You could re-raise, but if you re-raise in this scenario and your opponent decides to go all in, you have to reluctantly call it off. Now look, whenever you are taking a shot in a game that's bigger than normal, you cannot be afraid. You can't be scared of getting it all in. What a lot of people do very wrong here is they will re-raise, let's say, $400 or $350, get shoved on, and then fold. But if you are playing a higher stakes game and your opponents are battling, as I know they are prone to do in Florida, you have to find the reluctant call-off. Now, I think the way Lex played it is perfectly fine. I would not be re-raising this scenario. I would just call on the button. Call on the button, try to flop a good hand, and go from there. I think that is by far the best strategy in the spot. If the limper decides to limp re-raise, as some recreational players do, he said the initial limper was a recreational player, then you can fold, because then you're probably against aces and kings. So I like this play a lot. Lexo poker calls, big blind, and under the gun all call. We see a four-way flop in position with pocket tens. A lot of people get scared in this spot, or they don't like this spot because they think, oh no, now I'm going to lose the hand a lot of the time. An overcard is going to flop. Yeah, sure, but, you know, sometimes it doesn't, and also sometimes you make a set. So realize, when you see the flop multi-way, we put in 25% of the money into this pot, and you're not going to win it every time. And that's A-OK. -okay. So don't think you have to win every single pot just because you have a pretty good preflop hand. $400 in the middle. Board is 563 rainbow. It checks to us. We just fast. All right, flop comes. Six, five, three. Something I do, a little tip for all of you out there, is I always reorganize the board from high to low. It helps me memorize the board a whole lot better, helps me remember the scenario for future discussion. I always note my cards high to low. It's pocket tens, it's a 10 and a 10, but if it was jack and 10, it would be jack 10, not 10 jack. With this board, I would say six, five, three. A little bit of a nitpicky thing I do, but I think it actually does help a lot for structuring your thought process in general. All right, six, five, three, they check to us. Okay, okay. Here, it's very important to ask yourself, what's my opponent's strategy, right? Are they gonna play straightforwardly? Are they gonna be insane? Given we have no reads, I don't know. So what I want you to do is take a second to think about what you would do with pocket tens in this spot with no reads besides my opponents are loose and splashy. In this scenario, pot's $400. Would you just check it back? Try to see a cheap showdown? Would you make a small bet, like $125? Would you make a big bet, like $300? Or would you make a gigantic bet, like $600? Pause the video and write what you would do in the comment section below.
All right, did you do it? Did you like the quiz? If you like the quiz, click like, click subscribe. I would appreciate it. Also, if you want a whole lot more quizzes, over 1,200 of them, where we go through every single street of over 1,200 hands, check out pokercoaching.com slash fall to get in on the fall sale right now. This is a spot where in any regular scenario, I think the play is to bet kind of big, like $300. I know from a GTO point of view, you often want to be betting small and multi-way pots, but this is a spot where I have to think Lexo Poker should be betting pretty infrequently, mostly with just very good made hands and draws. And the nice thing about betting big in this scenario, like 300, not 600, but 300, is that worse hands can still call. If you give someone 7-6 or a draw or, you know, pocket 8, they're going to call the bet. And if you bet 300, they have to be incredibly concerned that you just have the nuts for, you know, 6s, 5s, or 3s. Obviously, they could have a straight, but, you know, sets are very good. You're not folding sets. So this is a spot where I think the play, especially in live poker against, you know, more recreational players is to use a big bet size with the idea that they are going to give you really, really, really accurate information if they raise you. And I, I would bet here 300 and fold if small blind, big blind, or, I'm sorry, big blind under the gun or the initial raiser decided to check raise because I would expect them to have pretty much the nuts, right? While they could check raise perhaps a hand like nines or eights, realize they could also have aces, kings, queens, jacks for the under the gun player at least, or the, uh, Oh, yeah, the under-the-gun slow player could have that. I say slow player. Maybe they're a slow player. Also, the preflop raise or the preflop raiser could have those hands as well and decide to go for a check raise. I don't think it's likely, but they could. Obviously, the big blind could have random straights and two pairs and whatnot. So I think this is a spot where when we bet the tens and get called, we're very happy. But if we bet the tens and get raised, we're very unhappy. So this is a spot where I think the play is to bet pretty big, and then I think we're going to get pretty accurate information. Now, don't tell your opponents that. Don't let your opponents know you're going to be betting big in this scenario with some hands like pocket tens that you're going to fold. Obviously, of course, we'd also bet here with stuff like ace seven and not fold two arrays. We'd bet stuff like ace four suited and not fold two arrays, and we'd bet stuff like sets in two pairs and not fold two arrays. So realize we don't have a ton of hands we're betting in the spot that we are folding, but I think this is one of the, I guess I call it thinnish value hands. I think that makes sense to do or to use. You don't need to bet bigger like 600 because when you start betting 600, you'll even get hands like 7-6 to fold, which are hands you want to get value from. And you don't want to bet tiny because when you bet tiny, you're giving all the pairs very, very good odds to draw. And for all you know, you may induce a bluff or maybe you won't. You're not really going to know how to play against that. So I think a 300 bet is quite nice in this spot. Checking's fine too if you have a read that your opponents have the nuts, but I have no reads here. If, if you can just like look across the table and tell someone loves their hand in the big blind or the under the gun player, which you know, could easily have sets in this scenario, either of them could and the big blind could have the straights. If you can look and tell they're happy, just check in and fold. <laughs> Sometimes you really can't make reads that good in live poker. Decided to check this one back and I don't really like this. At the time I was thinking about pot controlling. This board can really smash the big blind and the limpers ranges. They can have all the sets and two pairs on this board. So I played a little pot control, a little scared money because the game's so big, but don't really mind it. Turn card. All right, Lexo Pokerson played a little bit of scared money because we're playing so big, and I don't like it. You can't be scared money. We actually reviewed another hand from Lexo Poker where he was not scared money at all, so I don't think he's necessarily being scared money here. I think he was maybe maybe he had a read. Maybe he decided just going to find a way to try to get to a cheap showdown. The problem with that, though, is that if you think about the turn cards that are going to come on this board, basically every turn card's bad, right? I mean, name a good turn card. There really aren't a ton because if your opponents have a marginal made hand like king five suited in the turns of king or king or five you lose if they have random queen jack in the turns of jack you lose 
if they have um, seven five and the turns of seven, you lose, right? So like all the turn cards are gonna be pretty bad in this scenario. So whenever there are a lot of potentially bad cards and you have to fade three hands, right? You just I think you just want to bet and either pick up the pot immediately or get called by some worse hands and clean up your equity by getting some other hands with equity like king queen to fold. Anyway, check check check. Turns are gonna be bad. Let's see. Card is an offsuit eight, and now the limper leads out for $150 into $400, so a pretty weak sizing. So now I think she'd bet a lot bigger if she had a straight two pair or a set. I think she has mostly a hand like eight, nine, seven, eight, pocket sevens, or ace eight. So I raise for value, given the fact that I check back the flop, underwrap my hand. I raise to $500, trying to get value from all of her one pairs or pair plus straight draw. All right, let's slow down right here. Under the gun bets 150, the other player folds the initial raiser. And now here we are with the tens. We have the best hand almost every time. Obviously, the under-the-gun player could just be sitting here with a set or random 8-5 for all I know, right? Remember, we have to read that the under-the-gun player is a recreational player. So, whenever you think your opponent is a recreational player, I don't think you want to try to really narrow their range to the logical holdings. And I agree. Everything Lexo Poker said here was pretty logical, right? Random eights. Hand like a six. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. But I don't think you can automatically remove all of the nut hands because for all you know, they're just betting small because they want to get called. Like we sitting here with 8-6 suited for all you know. They limp and then call a regular raise, right? Um, also, I, it's tough because whenever you raise here, the big blind is going to play super straightforwardly. But if you call, I, I think it's probably the safer play here because like your hand's good, but if a lot of money goes in the pot here, again, I don't think you're in great shape. Um, because if you do raise to 500 here, yeah, you'll get value from 8-7 and 7-6 and stuff like that, but you also are putting in money very poorly when you're behind. I don't hate this raise, but I think it's, you got you got to be careful with this. This is the type of play that works great against generally weak, straightforward players who are playing 10-25 No Limit Hold'em, right? How recreational can they be? They're probably okay, and for that reason, I'm always a little bit cautious with plays like this that kind of presume the opponent is playing really like abc poker i have a hard time presuming the opponents play abc poker anyway we raised to 500 sure um so also lexa poker mentioned his hands underrepresented while that's true whenever you raise a turn to 500 it's not underrepresented anymore and now it just looks like you're trapping your opponent if it looks like you're trapping your opponent then alarm bell should be going off in their head if she calls my raise i'll check back all rivers unless it comes out of 10 i like that play so she makes the call. I'm not feeling great about the hand, but I'm pretty sure I'm winning at this time. The I, I generally agree with that. Whenever you raise here and get called, you're usually pretty happy. And I also like the idea that if I do raise and get called, I'm not going to go for thin value on the river with my 10s if it's, say, some, some brick. Because even though a hand like 8-7 could call, we could conceivably be beat. River comes off a three, pairs the board. She thinks for about two seconds, and you can see right in front of me, she leads out for $1,200. Nasty one. Nasty one. Nasty one. You know what we're going to do? This is going to be the first time ever. We're going to have two quizzes in this video. Because this is a nasty one. Take a second. Think about what you do in this scenario facing a $1,200 lead. Do we find a nitty fold for, against a recreational player? Do we find the call? Or do we rip it all in? Let's do it again. Pause the video. Write what you would do in the comment section below. This is a gross spot. 
either we're calling or folding. We're not raising. Because if we raise and she is sitting here with the nuts, like a three or set, she's just not folding, right? Well, set's now a full house. So raising would be awful. So the question is, do we fold or do we call? I think in this scenario, the only bluffs that we are going to see are going to be like ace four suited and maybe like king four suited. Because if your opponent was sitting here with a hand like eight seven, would they ever just look at this turn and think, yep, blast ya? I think that'd be insane. I think they'd be legitimately insane for almost everyone. Now, I remember that this player is a recreational player. Who knows what they're actually going to do? But that'd be a pretty insane thing, right? Like, going back to the turn action, I would not be shocked if they show up with a premium hand here like a set, right? Like, that that's fine and standard, even though they use a suboptimal bet size. But on the river, are they really blasting it with a hand like 7-6 or 8-7? I don't think so. So I think we're going to see ace-four suited a pretty good amount of the time, maybe ace-seven suited. But that's like it. That's it. <laughs> um, so given there aren't all that many combinations of bluffs, only eight of them, you want to ask, are threes logical? Well, they could easily have ace-three suited. They could easily have like four-three suited. Five-three, four-three, yeah, five-three suited. Maybe three-two suited for all we know. All, notice all these are pairs and gut shots or pairs and open-ended straight draws, right? They're not likely, but they are possible. Could the opponent ever have just, like, the nuts? Could they have turned pocket eights? Sure. It's afraid to let it check behind. Could they ever have a slow plate set on the flop, like sixes or fives? Sure, right? So the question is, are we good about 30% of the time, 32% of the time, whatever we need to be good? In this scenario, you divide 1,200 by the entire pot after we call to see how often we would need to be good. Let's get out the calculator. I'll show you how to do this. You do 1,200 times 2. That's what the total pot's going to be plus the 1400 right that's that's this is the total pot so we take 1200 divided by 38 so 1200 divided by 3800 equals 32 percent of the time we need to be good so there are eight logical bluffs maybe maybe maybe, maybe a few other nonsense bluffs that i'm not thinking of like jack 10 or something ridiculous um so there's eight there's eight logical bluffs the question is how many nut hands are there that may play this way well we have ace three suited just two of those Three two suited, and eh, probably not. Four three suited, sure, right? It's two of those. There are pocket eights, pocket sixes, and pocket fives. There's nine of those. So nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. We're looking at 13 nut hands that could have played this way. Could she ever have nine seven suited? Maybe. Nine, 10, 11, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. We're looking at 17 nut hands that could play this way. I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough one. In scenarios like this, you want to try to break your opponent's range down and figure out, would they play these hands in this particular manner, right? Because we don't know she's always going to play this way with ace-four suited. And we also don't know she's going to always play this way with nine-seven suited, right? So it's a tough scenario. She's got seven-four suited. I mean, it's possible. Four more hands there. Could she ever overvalue a hand like pocket nines? Maybe. But if she's overvaluing nine, she could easily have like jacks and queens that play weirdly too, right? I will generally say... When people take this line, when there are a lot of logical bluffs available, you should usually find a call. Like if there's a bunch of busted flush draws, I would have called here. But given there's no flush draw, I think it's probably just the fold. Notice if there were flush draws available, there'd be some more number of potential bluffing combinations, right? But with no flush draw available at all, you're really just looking at the busted straight draws. And for all you know, they don't even play this way. It is worth noting as well, how, how does your opponent play in general? When they snap bet, when they have an easy decision, does that tend to err towards value or bluffs? 
because some people when they snap bet they either have the nuts every time or they have nothing every time and if you're paying attention to your recreational opponents you should be correlating this now imagine you've played with this player for i don't know an hour and you've seen them make one snap bet and it was a bluff we had a sample of one would we read into that and call in this scenario because of that assuming they play using normal timing every other time but you've seen them make one snap bet and it was a bluff i would call every time if they've made one snap bet over the course of an hour and it was the nuts i think i'd fold every time like these are little things that would just sway me one way or the other in this otherwise very very close spot um what would i do in this scenario i don't know no reads i, I usually just call <laughs> the nice thing about having or the nice thing about calling is that you get to see what your opponent's doing, right? And if your opponent shows up with some complete nonsense, you learn a lot. If they show up with a set, you learn that something about their turn bet size, right? If they show up with a three, you learn, all right, maybe a little bit loose and splashy on the turn, trying to spike, and then when they spike, they lead. You learn a lot when you call. You don't learn anything when you fold. So I err towards calling with no reads, but with any sort of read whatsoever, this, this could easily be swayed to a fold. It's a close spot. Well, this turned into a pretty nasty spot. We are beating hands like 5-6, 8-6, and 8-5 that are now counterfeited. Would she lead those? Snap lead those? I don't think so. I, I would definitely not think she's snap leading those because a lot of people have to look at the board and realize, oh my god, I just got counterfeited. Those are logical bluffs, but would the opponent do that? I just don't think so. Especially since those are marginal made hands that can easily beat your busted draws. I would, I would never. I, like, I would be pretty surprised to see 8-5 or 6-5 show up here. The three on the river now reduces her likelihood of having pocket threes. She's not limping preflop with seven four suited. She could have mm, nine. Mm, 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 mm. I don't like that logic. If she's so look, you just mentioned six five, right? Or eight five. If she's playing eight five, she could easily have seven four, right? And and I'm not putting that past a recreational player to limp the seven four suited under the gun, trying to see a flop, right? So I, I would I would not narrow that. I always try to point out whenever I'm observing anyone's like thought process the things that I think are very reasonable, right? And also things that I think are kind of unreasonable. And right here, I think I think that's the first unreasonable thing Lexa Poker said so far. Seven suited, which is a straight, but I think she'd be betting way more on the turn, not 150 into $400, so I- Again, I, I, if you're playing the small stakes games, you can presume they're gonna play that straightforward ABC where they bet small with their marginal made hands and big with their nuts. But as you play against higher stakes opponents, they will mix it up. Can discount that hand. So basically, I'm only losing to pocket fives and pocket sixes. I think she would probably raise pocket eights preflop. She may not want to check call a bet, so she bets herself, basically naming her own price. However, twelve hundred into fourteen hundred is a huge price to name for herself. So I don't know. It just doesn't seem good for me. But I doesn't seem good for you. I agree. Um. So, Lexa Poker mentions she. He's trying. I think he's trying to narrow her range too much. Like whenever I'm trying to pinpoint someone's range, it's usually like could. Like, is this reasonable? And Lexa Poker says she probably raises eights preflop, but not sixes. I'm like, really? I don't know that I can narrow someone's range who I don't know all that much. Even if I know someone a lot and I know they limp some hands under the gun, eights is reasonable, sixes is reasonable, right? Nine, seven suited is reasonable. I don't know anything about their best sizing because I don't really know. So in this scenario, I just don't know. Now, if you did think your opponent's range was exactly sixes and fives and maybe threes, it's only seven combinations of hands, right? Could they have ace four suited, ace seven suited? Sure. If that's the case, and you think they would bluff with those hands, this is an easy call, right? Because they're gonna be bluffing half the time and you only need to win 32% of the time, right? So if the opponent's range is exactly sixes and fives, then sure, easy call, no brainer. But I don't think that's what we're looking at here. I think it's, I think it's definitely a close spot. After thinking for a while, being at the stakes, I just don't think I can fold a hand so strong like pocket tens. 
After tanking for two minutes, I flick in the call, $1,200. She shows us pocket fives for a flop set, River Full House. I basically donate $1,200 to seat number two, and I muck my cards. All right, whenever you see that your logic was incorrect, what should that make you do? Because remember, Alexa Poker said she probably would not bet the turn 150 with pocket fives. I presume she would re-raise the turn with pocket fives if she had it. And I, pre I would presume she would bet bigger. But again, I just don't know, right? And I think something a lot of people do a little bit optimistically is they really try to narrow the opponent's range to like one or two key hands. But as you move up in stakes and play against better opponents who are going to be a little bit more balanced or a little bit more tricky, just straight up tricky, then you cannot narrow their ranges so much. And that leads to a lot more guessing games. And you have to be cool with guessing if you're going to be playing poker at a high level. And sometimes you're going to guess wrong. So fun hand. That's going to be it for today. If you enjoyed it, check out Lexo Poker's YouTube channel again. Link is in the description below. Also, click like, click subscribe. Subscribe to his channel as well. Thanks for being here. Good luck in your games. Have a great, great week. And I'll talk to you. Yeah, I'm talking to you.